My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome back to another episode of FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and FOMO Sapiens 24-7. And our topic today is a very good one, especially as we come to the end of another year, how to never give in to regret, because I think it's very typical. The fall, I don't know what it is about the falling leaves, you start to think like, what didn't I do this year that I should have done? But regret, I don't know. I've always believed regret is a useless emotion unless it keeps you from doing something really, really bad to somebody else or committing a crime or something or whatever. But otherwise, regret is kind of not a very productive emotion. And my guest today agrees with me happily. His name is Marshall Goldsmith. Now, Marshall has been recognized for years as the world's leading executive coach and he is the New York Times bestselling author of many books, including What Got You Here Won't Get You There, Mojo, and Triggers. He received his PhD from the UCLA Anderson School of Management. And in his coaching practice, he has advised more than 200 major CEOs and their management teams. He and his wife live in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, we're going to be talking about Marshall's brand new book. And that book is is called The Earned Life. And we'll explain what that means exactly because it's not particularly clear. We're going to talk about what he has learned as a top coach. What are the things he's learned from himself and from the people he coaches? And, you know, it's really interesting because he does coach all these really high-level people. And so, you know, everybody from you know, major sports stars to major CEOs. And so we'll get into some of that. We're going to talk about the addiction to achievement that so many of us deal with and talk about the damage that it causes. We're gonna talk about how to deal with regret and how to live in the now and reset when needed. So it's a very good conversation, a lot of value in today's conversation to take with you into your life. And as you do so, I do have a small ask for you. Subscribe, please smash that subscribe button and share this episode with somebody who needs a little coaching because I just came out of it when I talked to Marshall. I was like, wow, I think I just learned a bunch of stuff I didn't know before. And I've been thinking about what he talked about and what I read in his book. And it's just value, total value. So share that with somebody. Okay, there we go. That's what I want from you. <laughs> and let's go on to the interview. So as you know, I like to go deep right away. And so I started this conversation with my favorite question. What's a formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are today? You know, I think I made a decision many years ago to work for a nice man named Dr. Paul Hersey. He let me meet him. I usually worked for him. I followed him around. I served coffee and sat in the back of the room and tried to learn to do what he did. And then one day he got double booked and he said, can you do what I do? I said, I don't know. He said, I'll pay $1,000 for a day. I was making $15,000 a year. My entire business experience is pumping gas in Valley Station, Kentucky. I said, I'll give it a shot did a program for the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company, hugely successful. Uh, they were angry when I showed up because it wasn't him, but happy when I left because I got ranked first place of all the speakers. They said, do you want to do this? Paul called me, you want to do it again? I said, you're paying me a thousand bucks a day. 
I'm making 15,000 bucks a year. <laughs> Sign me up, coach. That's how I got into leadership development, which led to 360 feedback, which led to coaching, which led to writing. And here I am. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's funny how the, the path chose you yeah. rather than you choosing the path. Yeah, and I've been very blessed. Uh, I've had the privilege of, you know, working with Peter Drucker, Paul Hersey, you know, Ken Blanchard, uh, Francis Hesselbein, just wonderful, wonderful people. So, you know, um, Paul Hersey had a saying, it's easy to look tall if you stand on the shoulders of a giant. So I definitely think that characteristic is true for me. Now, one of the things that I really was excited to talk to you about today is, you know, I've heard your name and you are often referred to as the world's top coach and you've worked with over 200 CEOs of major companies as well as their teams. You've worked with some famous athletes like Paul Gasol. You've worked with the president of the World Bank. And so as you've worked with all these people who are all really different and come from all over the world, the question that I really want to know is what is the biggest thing that you've learned from all these high impact people? We're all human beings. And really, although the people are very high impact people, what I do is very agnostic to rank status, all that stuff. You know, we're all human beings. My my book, The Earned Life, was inspired over COVID, where my friend Mark Thompson and I spent 600 hours with 50, 60 of these great people you mentioned, right? And um, every week they would talk about, here's what's going well in my life. Here's what's I need to do better. Please help me and get help from each other. And you know, they just loved it. And what you quickly learn is it doesn't matter what your status is or all those stuff. At the end of the day, you still got kids with drug problems and parents with Alzheimer's and divorces and you're still human. And nobody gets a pass in life. Nobody gets a pass. And the other thing I've learned is every day we start over. You know, there is no I'm going to get there. Once I do this, I'm going to be okay for eternity. That's not real. I mean, there's one book that ends with a phrase and they lived happily ever after. That is called a fairy tale. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's <laughs> not the real world. Real world, you start over, and then you start over, and then you start over, and then you start over. That's the way the real world is. Yeah, the problem with the fairy tale thing is we always talk about the last page, but we got to talk about how about the big bad wolf, right? How about <laughs> the evil witch? I mean, that's that's right. the thing. Like we we don't remember all those parts, but they're very. You can't have the happy ending if you don't have the all of the ways to get there. You actually, you know what happiness looks like, you know, in, well, in a broader and, sense. And the reality is there isn't a happy ending. There isn't in right. life. We don't get to a place. The great Western myth is I'll be happy when, when I get the money status BMW, somehow I'm going to get to this place. And once I get there, it's all okay from here on in. I'm just coasting it in. That's not the real world. The real world is every day we start over. One of the things you talk about, what I thought was really so true, but it's something that doesn't get talked about enough is that successful people that you coach, they deal with something that you call the addiction to achievement. And I right. wanted to, to also hear about that because I think that frames up so well what we're going to talk about in terms of the earned life. So talk about what that looks like and where you think that comes from. Well, I think there are three key components I talk about for living a great life. One is called our aspirations. Our aspirations are higher goals. The answer to the question, why am I doing this? Why, right? And that's our aspiration, which doesn't have a finish line. Then we have our day-to-day -day actions, which is what I'm doing now. And then that middle phase is our ambitions, our achievements, which do have a deadline. So everyone who buys my books 
is really focused on achievement. In the history of the world, most people were focused on the action phase. You know, our ancestors were poor. They lived from day to day. They just survived. Not bad people. They just were trying to survive. Some people live up in their heads. You know, lofty ideas, but they don't really do anything. Your listeners, the people who read my books, they're all achievement focused. A tiny number of all people read a book. A tiny number are going to listen to your podcast. We're not talking about average people here. We're talking about driven people. And their problem tends to be the addiction to achievement. And they fall into this trap. And one thing I teach in the book is you never place your value as a human being on results. Never place your value as a person on results for two reasons. One, you don't control the results. And two, what happens after you achieve the results? How long does that bring lasting satisfaction? You know, a day, a week, not long, right? One of the people you read on the front of the book and the endorsements is Albert Berla. Albert's a CEO of Pfizer. So a few months ago, I said, Albert, how's it going? I said, how was last year? Pretty good. Getting that, you know, cure for COVID thing, vaccine, very good. And then we all, employee engagement, all-time high and pride in the company. Oh, record profit, CEO of the year. I said, Albert, what's your problem? He said, I have a huge problem next year. <laughs> if Albert's value as a human is he has to do better than last year, cash it in. It's not going to happen. Michael Phelps won 25 gold medals. What do you think of doing after he won his 25th gold medal? Killing himself. Yeah. Killing himself. Well, that's if, you're, if your soul is tied up into I have to beat last year, you're playing a fool's game. One of the great people in our sessions is Safi Bacall. I don't know if you've ever met Safi, but he's a great guy. He wrote a book called Loon Shots. He started four companies, made tens of millions of dollars, consulted the presidents, yada, yada, yada. So Safi said, what I learned in all these meetings with people was from Curtis Martin. Curtis is a great football player, National Football League number five rusher, and just a good guy and very happy guy. And what Safi learned is he said, and he talks like a scientist, I used to think that happiness was a dependent variable based upon achievement. And if I achieved more, I would be happy. And he said, I finally realized that happiness and achievement are independent variables. You can achieve a lot and be happy. You can achieve nothing and be happy. You can achieve a lot and be miserable, and you can achieve nothing and be miserable. If you're just independent variable, achieve to achieve, be happy to be happy, but never believe getting some result is going to make you happy. It won't. Now, why do we believe this? This message has been hammered into our brain millions of times. The great Western art form sounds like this. There is a person. The person is sad. Ooh, they spend money, they buy a product, and they become happy. That is called a commercial. Have you ever seen one of these commercials before? <laughs> FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens? Now, that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription 
but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to netsuite.com slash FOMO. That's netsuite.com slash FOMO. netsuite.com slash FOMO. FOMO. Now, Marshall, The Earned Life is a book about a topic that I think a lot of people might feel uncomfortable talking about because it's about regret. Specifically, how do you move past regret since you write that regret is the polar opposite of fulfillment? And I really like that, you know, the polar opposite of fulfillment. Before we get into what's in the book, I just want to start 10,000 feet up. Why this topic? I think COVID really inspired this. And the time I've spent with all those people, you know, program after program, and COVID really caused a lot of people to think about life. And why am I doing what am I doing and what I, what makes me feel fulfilled and what what do I regret doing? There's nothing like thinking about death to make us put life in perspective. And I found that this COVID period really caused people to become much more introspective, much more reflective. And that inspired a lot of the thought behind the book. Now, you talk about we just just before a little earlier, you talked about this notion of I'll be happy when, which is, as you said, a very Western notion. And in the book, you contrast it with an Eastern notion from Buddhism, which is the notion of impermanence. I'd love to just because that is, I think, really it's such an important concept that maybe people haven't necessarily spent time with. Talk about that and, and why one versus the other you know, what the impact of, of thinking about impermanence is and what it really is about. Well, a key tenet of Buddhism is impermanence. Somebody asked me, in Buddhism, do people believe in reincarnation? Buddhism is nothing but reincarnation. That's all there is, is reincarnation. The me that's here at the end of this podcast is going to be the same me that was here at the beginning of it. I'm a different person. You're a different person. We're all changing all the time. So the idea of impermanence is as we journey through life, you know, good philosophy, every time I take a breath, it's a new me. It's a new me. It's a new me. I'm constantly starting over. And I think that's a great way to look at life. Now, let me give you a couple of examples, because what I'm not doing, I'm not trashing achievement or saying you shouldn't try to win. But what I'm saying is really focus on the process of life. Let me give you two examples. One example is John Wooden, who was a basketball coach at UCLA when I went to school there. He never focused on results or winning. All he ever said was, do your best. Now, he said, if you do your best and win, be proud. Do your best and lose, be proud. Don't do your best and win, nothing to be proud of. 
all you need to do is focus on the process of life, not the results. Coach K at Duke, same thing. Player hits a shot, jumps up and down. What's he say? Next play. Player misses a shot, sad. What's he say? Next play. Focus on now. You know, be willing to let go of that positive or negative dwelling in the past. Yeah, it's funny. I think about this in terms of FOMO so much because when I was studying up and trying to learn as much I could about as I could about the psychology of FOMO, I also talked to a Buddhist meditation teacher who was a neurobiologist. And so he had looked at the, 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 the human condition from the scientific world, the traditional scientific world, and from the world of Buddhism. And what he told me was, Patrick, when we feel FOMO, what's happening is we're spending so much time in a narrative that is outside of our control, that is outside of the present. We're living in this imagined world and we're spinning into all these ideas that we're totally disconnected from the moment. And if you just sit down and meditate, that is the opposite of FOMO because you are in the real world. You are grounded into your reality and therefore you can't focus on all these things that are flying around in the air. So I, I completely get that. I, I, have you ever thought about that before? I'm curious what you think of my analysis. I, I, I like it because what happens is a couple of things. I'm going to kind of ramble around to try mm -hmm. to answer the question. One thing I talk about is try to avoid vicarious living. Now, vicarious living is living through other people. Not mm -hmm. Live your own life. Don't live your own, somebody else's life. People spend billion hours watching the Kardashians. Who cares, right? I, and I talked to my son about this, playing video games. That's not real. My son said, you think video games are bad? People spend millions of hours watching some other guy play video games. You know, you know PewDiePie? Yeah, of course. Yeah, hundreds of millions of hours watching him play video games. This is living through another person. Now, when we live in the past, now I'm going to go to your point. In essence, we're living through another person. We're living through that person who's no longer there. See, what you say also explains why uh, the NFL, National Football League players, disasters when they leave. Drug addiction, alcoholism, divorce, bankruptcy. Why? They're living in the past. They're not living their lives. They're living, the, the drunk guy sitting at the bar is not the kid that won Super Bowl three. They're not the same person. And when we live in the past, in essence, it's just another form of vicarious living. It's just another form of vicarious living. And you're not really living the life of the person who's here right wow. now. That is very powerful. It, it is living in your past glory and not being able to focus on the present and what you can do now that is a that's a, a really difficult way to spend your time. Let's go back to FOMO. Maybe there's one thing worse to live in your past glory. Let's live in your past screw yeah. up. <laughs> well, what I say is FOMO is nostalgia for the present. And so you're actually nostalgizing. I don't know if that's a word, but you're really like sort of idealizing the present that you're missing out on. And therefore you're regretting the present, which is completely, completely unproductive, right? Well, you know what the present is? Yeah, what it totally. is. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. And, you know, a big part of Buddhism is it is what it is. And, you know, and in um, the Bhagavad Gita, a lot of the book is based on mm. the Bhagavad Gita. And the Bhagavad Gita has a guy who's got two choices. One choice is called bad and the other choice is called worse. Now, sometimes in life we do have two choices, bad, worse. And what's the message? Pick bad, make the best of it, and move on. <laughs> it, it is what it is, right? It's, it's not always good. Make the best of it. That's all you can do. FOMO. 
FOMO. Now, I got to wonder, though, so I've actually one of the things I really enjoyed as I as I dug into the book was that I've often said I've said this for a really long time. For me, regret is an unproductive emotion. But, you know, at the same time, I ask myself, okay, fine, it's easy to say that. But are there any positive aspects to regret in terms of saying, like, I regret that I did that. Therefore, I'm going to do it differently next time. Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, there may be. Uh, the the reality is uh, very few people want to maximize or increase the amount of regret they experience in life. <laughs> so, mm. you know, <laughs> so the answer is, I don't know, maybe. Okay. Now tell me something. Why do some people end up feeling these things way more acutely than others? Because there's some people that it seems like they go through life, at least externally, but also it seems like they're, they're pretty good at managing these things and sort of deciding that they're just going to move forward and live in the present or, or, yeah. or figure out the path to the future. Other people really get mired down. What drives a person into that place where they can't break out of the, out of the prison of regret? You know, I think a lot of it is just presence and consciousness. Mm. It's just being mm. conscious. One question I, I suggest that you ask yourself every day is today, did I do my best to be happy? Now, in my book, Triggers, I interviewed three medical doctors, Jim Kim, who has a simultaneous MD and PhD with honors from Harvard in five years and went on to be president of the World Bank. Ross Shaw, head of the USAID at 37. Now he's head of the Rockefeller Foundation. John Noseworthy, head of the Mayo Clinic. I asked all three a question. How would you score on the average day and did I do my best to be happy? All three had the same answer, independently. Never dawned on me to try to be happy. Hmm. Never thought of it. <laughs> I said, did you? Did you think about you're going to die? See, they're all medical doctors. Did they cover death in medical school? Did they bring that topic up? I said, oh, yeah, they cover that death thing. Now, I said, do you think this is a silly question? I said, no, it's a, it's a great question. Wow. I forgot to ask. I was too busy <laughs> achieving things. Forgot to be happy. That's amazing. <laughs> when you think about all of this, you know, this earned life, yeah. The term, the earned life, which I, I think you coined, what does that really mean? Like, what are we trying to get? What's the goal here? Well, I, I'm going to read that one so I don't get it wrong. We're living an earned life when the choices, risks, and effort we make in each moment align with an overarching purpose in our lives, regardless of the eventual outcome. So the idea of living an earned life is not how much money do you have or how many trophies did you win? It's not the end result, it's the process of earning our life over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of, I'm sure you've come across the work of Martha Beck and the notion of integrity and the idea that you want you want alignment between your inner purpose and the things that you do. And when you do that, then the process can work well. And so I see, I see echoes of, of some of the, of some of the things she's talked about and what you're talking about as well. Well, you know, my daughter and I did some research on this and if we ask people how they spend their time, if what you're working on, number one is meaningful for you is aligned with your higher purpose, number one. And number two, you enjoy doing it. You actually enjoy the process of it. You won. You won the game of life here. See, what I'm doing, all this hard work stuff, number one, I enjoy it. And number two, it's meaningful for me. Now, nobody can define what's meaningful for you but you. On the other hand, to the degree you're doing stuff, say, you know what? That means a lot to me. Hmm. And number two, I enjoy it. You just won. So when you sit down with a client, you sit down with a CEO or an athlete or 
somebody else that you work with and you have these kinds of conversations, how do you move somebody who is not living the earned life into the place where they are? Because, you know, that's the process of the book. But as we think about it at a high level, what are the kinds of activities that a person undertakes to get there? Well, the first thing is, this is all, oddly enough, although I'm 73, reasonably new for me. Mm. My whole mission as a coach was pretty much behavioral change. I'm the world's expert at helping people change leadership behavior. And, you know, that holds the whole process. You ask for feedback, you get it, you follow up, you measure. The reality is half the people I coach today are billionaires. Mm. What am I supposed to, I'm one guy, what am I supposed to do? Move you up from 4 billion to 4.1 billion? <laughs> what difference does it make? Is there relevant? You'd, re you'd really pay for yourself if you did. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? They're all 99.99 achievers now. What am I supposed to do? Help them achieve a little more? They're already achieving it. Some have seen them out right now. What I really focus on now is just keep the focus on life as well as, as that other stuff. And I'm going to give, are you ready? And we're always ready. I'm, I'm going to give our listeners something that takes three minutes a day, costs nothing. It's going to help you get better at almost anything. Are you ready? Yes. Some people are skeptical right now. Three minutes a day costs nothing. Help me get better at almost anything. This is ridiculous. Sounds too good to be true. Half the people that start doing this quit within two weeks. And they don't quit because it doesn't work. They quit because it does work. Every day, ask yourself a series of questions that represent what's most important in your life. Friends, family, colleague, health, whatever it is, you get to write your own questions. If you want all my questions, send me an email, marshall at marshallgoldsmith.com. I'll send you my questions, an article about this. Six questions, though, I always recommend. Are, are you ready? Number one, did I do my best today to set clear goals? Just say, did I set goals today? Number two, did I make progress toward achieving the goals I set? Number three, did I do my best today to be happy? Number four, did I do my best today to find meaning? Number five, did I do my best today to build positive relationships? And number six, did I do my best to be fully engaged and present? That's it. Six questions every day. Over COVID, all these people every day is like Alcoholics Anonymous for successful people. They would all stand up and talk about their scores. <laughs> Here's how I did, right? And look, if you read their bios, you'd think, are they going to 10 on everything? At 1 to 10 scale, they're getting all 10s. No, 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 no. They're just humans like everybody else. And we screw up every day. We screw up every day. I screw up every day. I, I have to, I've had someone call me on the phone virtually every day for 25 years to make sure I do this stuff. Somebody asked me, why do you have someone call you on the phone? Don't you know the theory about how to change? I wrote the theory about how to change. Yeah, my name is Marshall Goldsmith. I got ranked number one leadership thinker and coach in the whole world. I have someone call me on the phone every day just to help me. Why? I'm too cowardly to do any of this stuff by myself. I'm too undisciplined doing this stuff by myself. I need help. And it's okay. It's okay. We all need help. Who are we kidding here? How about all that macho willpower crap? Eh. <laughs> Not for me. 100%. I don't have that much willpower. Yeah, right. Hey, who are these people that have all this macho willpower, right? I'm not one of them. Yeah, I call it won't power because I, I, like, I think about meditation and all my listeners know this. And we actually have an accountability group with an app where we all check in every day that we meditated. And it's a really great way to have 
support. You know there are other people doing it too. And if you don't do it, then somebody reaches out. And so that was the, I tried for years to meditate. And the minute I started doing that, I like to call it competitive meditation, which is of course ironic, (laughs) but it is, it's what worked for me. And now years later, it's stuck. And that was the only way. You know what? Raise that right in. My name is Patrick. My name is Patrick. I need help. (laughs) I need help. Always. It's okay. Always. It's okay. FOMO. FOMO. Now tell me something. When you're running a business, right, how do you create a culture that is imbued with this thinking? Like, how do you take it into the entire company culture? You know, I would say I'll give you some real life examples of I've been very blessed. I mean, I mean, I have coached, you know, multiple CEOs a year in the United States. And, you know, the first thing you start with yourself. Hubert Jolie is CEO Best Buy led the incredible turnaround. They were supposed to go bankrupt, right? He gets up in front of everybody and says, my name is Hubert Jolie. I'm the new CEO Best Buy. I need help. I got a coach. I get feedback. I need help. Help me. Alan Mulally, CEO Ford, what does he do? You know, gets feedback, tries to do better. Francis Hesselbein, CEO of the year, do better. You know, what do these people do? They lead by example. They try to get better themselves. You know what? If you want other people to get better, you go first. Let them watch you try to get better. Let them watch you try to get better. How about preaching? You know what you do when you preach to people? You teach them to preach. That's all you do. They, then they preach at somebody else. And then they preach at somebody else and write craps on the bottom. <laughs> They're just preaching all the time. Yeah, this is kind of like the wounded healer. Uh, the old, <laughs> the notion by Carl Jung that once you start healing yourself, you're in a great position to teach the next person because you understand what it takes to do it. Exactly. Well, when Uber stands up and says, I need help, I need your help, what happens to other people are going to try to get better? Because they're going to reach out and say, I need your help too. As opposed to, I'm, I'm a little God who knows everything. Now tell me one more thing, Marshall, which is that we've been through this period of tremendous change the last couple of years, have really tested our metal, probably brought out some things in us that are really positive, but also have been really challenging. As you think about the five years ahead, the 10 years ahead, people kind of gearing up and understanding that, you know, we are now entering a new phase. Right. What would be one thing that we can all do for ourselves that will help us to manage through that change? Okay. I'm going to actually say something counterintuitive. Rather than look forward, I'm going to suggest look backward. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good Buddhist philosophy is every time I take breath, it's a new me. So here's my suggestion. Take a deep breath and think new me. Everything that happened before in their, your life was done by an infinite set of people called previous me's. Think of all the gifts they've given you. Think about how hard they tried and the nice things those people did. If anybody gave you that many good things, what should you say to those nice people? Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Now, did they make a little mistake or two along the way? First person we always need to learn to forgive is who? Yourself. I've asked thousands of parents around the world this question. When my child grows up, I want my child to be. What's the number one word from parents, no matter what country I'm in? happy mm. want your kid to be happy want your parents to be happy want the people who love you to be happy you go first you go first you be happy 
All right, everybody, be present, be grateful. That's my takeaway here. So if you want to learn about Marshall's work, you can find him at marshallgoldsmith.com. You can find him on LinkedIn. And he gave out his email, which is marshall at marshallgoldsmith.com, where he can send you the questions you should ask every day. But of course, you should just go out and buy his book, The Earned Life. Such a, such, I really, I, I read this one. This is one of these ones that I'm going to probably read a couple of times. Marshall Goldsmith and The Earned Life, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's my pleasure. FOMO. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstrom. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO.